It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. As I said at the start of that reading, think about who in that powerful story was set free. Paul wrote about freedom to the Galatian church in chapter 5. We are free, so, so live like you're free. If we believe that, that Jesus Christ has set us free through his life, his death, his resurrection, by believing in him, having faith in him, that that, that is making a difference in life, then we should, of all people, be living freely in an increasing kind of way, and embracing and, and taking hold of the freedom that he has provided to us. So in this story today, we see various people that were set free because of what transpired in this event. Who was set free in this story? Well, first of all, a female slave who isn't named here in the text. She's a slave. Now, slaves in the, the ancient world, the Roman world, were not exactly like we think of slavery. If our definition of slavery is the slavery in the history of our nation, sad and, and horrible as that was, it was different in the sense that these people had lived that way for generations and they had always lived there. It wasn't that they were in on a separate continent and then taken against their will across an ocean and then made to work against their will. Now, what they have in common was they weren't free. But there were many cases in the Roman world where slaves were treated really well. They were part of a household, part of a family, and, and there was, you know, the, you, you do your work and we'll take care of you. And, 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 and the, the idea in the larger culture in the ancient world of an economy without slavery was, was almost unthinkable at that point. You know, thankfully, as the, as the centuries went on, eventually we got there as humanity, but it, it took a whole lot of trouble, a whole lot of struggles, and in some ways those struggles still linger. So this woman was a slave, which means that she is, you know, close to the bottom of the hierarchy of the, of the social structure. Social status in the Roman world was a big deal. And, and there were various levels and, and you knew where you were, let me put it that way. And you always stayed in your place. And serves and slave and and, and servants and slaves were certainly at the bottom of that. Now, there was also a provision in Roman law for a slave to be set free. And, you know, obviously their, their, their owner would have a part in, in, in making that happen. But there, there was a, a, a path to freedom, shall we say, for slaves. This woman apparently had some kind of a spiritual power, some kind of, of, of demonic force. It didn't say demon, it just says spirit, but you know, something similar that, that was overtaking her, had overtook her with some ability to tell the, uh, the future. Now, how much of that was actually happening, we don't know. Just like, quote, fortune tellers today, Many of them make a buck off of people and don't really know any more about tomorrow than you do. But, you know, the, if you play it up enough, you can convince people and you can deceive people and you make money doing it. That's what was happening with this woman. 
she was helping people make money off of this ability. And apparently she latched on to Paul and Silas. Then she started to follow them around and she repeated this every day for several days apparently. These men are Jews are throwing our city. No, the wrong one, sorry. Um, she said, these are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now imagine repeating that all the time. And imagine Paul and Silas hearing that all the time. And did, was she saying it in sort of a mocking kind of tone? Was she saying it as maybe even a, a subtle call for help, but she didn't know how else to communicate it? We don't know that, but eventually Paul had enough and commanded that spirit to leave her, and it did. And that's what set things in motion. Now remember, too, uh, all of this is taking place in the city of Philippi, which we looked at the beginning of that story last week with... Uh, going to a place of prayer, meeting someone named Lydia. We'll come back to her in a few minutes. But um, this is in Philippi. It was in the place of what would become and was already becoming, I guess I can say it this way, Paul's favorite church. Like of all the churches he planted and, and was excited about, this one, these people really understood and then and, and they took hold of the gospel and they acted out in ways that honored God. And when he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, that letter is so filled with joy and encouragement and, and thanksgiving given to them because of the way that that church was functioning. Like you compare that, for example, with the letters to the Corinthian church is completely the opposite. Those people were a mess. He calls them babies, and they were. And, and he doesn't mince any words about their, their lack of maturity, their lack of faith, and and the stupid things they were doing. We just call it what it was. It was a dumb stuff, and Paul was so frustrated. Well, Philippians were completely the opposite. So it was that church, that town, that this is taking place on. Now, again, this is the early days and weeks and maybe months of, of that church just getting started. So that slave girl was set free from that bondage. That slave girl was set free from being taken advantage of by her owners. And it doesn't tell us the rest of her story, but you know, perhaps she continued to follow Paul if she was allowed to, or certainly she could embrace the faith on her own regardless if she was allowed or not. But she was at the very minimum set free from that spirit and being taken advantage of. And then the next set of people were, of course, the most obvious. Paul and Silas were set free, but I'll tell you this, they were free before they went to jail. They already knew the faith in Jesus Christ. They already knew the greatest, most powerful, most important freedom is through Jesus. And they had that. And that's why they were there to begin with, to share that. But nonetheless, no one likes to be arrested. No one likes to be the cause of a riot. No one likes to be beaten. And they were beaten very severely for all of this. And um, they, it even says they were at first beaten with rods and they were flogged. If you remember the, the descriptions about the suffering that Jesus underwent, a flogging was sometimes 39 lashes, which was thought to be, by the Roman world, one short of death. And so, in any measure, you have to be able to picture Paul and Silas, bruised, black eye, blood, you know, sore, 
and now sitting in a jail cell, locked in the most secure part of the jail in Philippi, the commander of the jail was told, these guys need to be here and don't let them out. And he's going to take his job seriously, so he knew that. So he did everything within his power to make sure these guys were not going to leave. So an injustice happened to these men, a terrible injustice. Uh, physical beating, the, the, the trauma of all of that happened to these guys. The, you know, yes, they're followers of Jesus, they're apostles, they're leaders in the church, but you know what? They still have feelings. They still have emotion. And, and certainly, I'm sure there was, there was moments where they were tempted to act out in anger. There was moments where they were tempted to, to go into despair. There was moments they were tempted to, to, to fear even deeper. Are, there, are we going to die from this? But they set aside all of those reactions, and they chose to pray. And they chose to pray with one another. And they chose to pray audibly between the two of them. And those prayers turned into, into songs of, of, of praise to God. And they were set free of the, the normal reaction of pain, the normal reaction of suffering and injustice in order to have the light, the truth, the hope of Christ shine in a very dark place, in a very dark moment in their lives. Because they prayed, because they sang, they were set free, and in doing so, there were other people in the story that were set free. Now there's other prisoners in the jail. Now what we have to consider here is that this is a very Greek area, this is a Gentile town. There are a few Jews there, including Lydia and some other women that began this place of prayer, which is what you do. I mentioned this last week and described it. If a town isn't big enough, or excuse me, if there aren't enough Jews in a town to begin a synagogue, you could start what's called a place of prayer. And, and for a synagogue, you need 10 men minimum to start and agree to get things going. Well, apparently Philippi didn't have 10 Jewish men that wanted to do that or were able to do that or whatever. So these women started it, started a place of prayer. And that's where he met Lydia. And as I mentioned last week, the women were very much in, in, in a leadership position here because there weren't any guys around apparently, very few, at least initially. And so they're in this Greek town. Now, these other prisoners, they weren't Jews. Most likely, very, very unlikely that they would be. And so they're hearing prayer from these two guys who were drugged in this afternoon, all beaten up, and maybe they heard the riots or heard the rumors about what happened to the riots. Maybe some of them were also arrested that day and put in the jail. And so they hear these guys praying and in their minds as Roman people, Greek people, when you pray, you pray to all kinds of gods. And these prayers sounded different. And what you pray for is you pray for, for health, you pray for safety, you pray for, for blessing, for, uh, for riches, whatever else you might want for success, whatever you're going to pray for. 
Here, these guys are praying after they've been beaten up. This was different. This was really unique that um, these guys were praying and singing in the moment of great suffering, and it really grabbed their attention. And apparently it grabbed their hearts too. Because it says in the word there, they were listening to them. So they were set free of what could have happened next in it with a different response. So this earthquake comes and the doors are opened, the chains are loosened, and every one of them, if they chose, could get up and walk out, get up and run out. Every one of them could get up and attach, excuse me, attack the guards and take their frustration out on them. They could have had all those reactions, but because of the prayers and the hymns of Paul and Silas, those men stayed put. And Paul was pretty confident that that's exactly what they were going to do because the next person that was set free is the jailer. And so when the jailer sees this, he realizes this is disaster for me for several different reasons. The most immediate reaction is, these guys hate me, they could kill me, they could torture me, I'm not gonna have that. More than, and even if he would survive that, they, they ran right past him, just kicked him on the way out or something, he has to face his superiors as to why he allowed these guys to escape. Earthquake or not, it's your job to keep them there. So he is make, drawing all these conclusions in, in very rapidly in his mind. And then he hears this voice and says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Not just Paul and Silas. Everybody else. These two Jewish men who had some, some belief about some Jesus, you know, we know a little bit about that and them, but the rest of them, why would they stay? They're, they're not from the church. They're, they're not friends of, of Paul and Silas, at least not before that night, we assume. So why didn't they go? And then he does something that gives us a hint that there is more, than, more guards than just the one jailer here. I think the way the story is usually told, we think of a small jail, one guy, he's in charge. Um, he says he, he called for light. Now, of course, there wasn't an electric switch on the wall somewhere that somebody would throw, you know. But what do you do in the ancient world when you call for light? You get torches, you get lamps, you, you, you know, bring light in to see what's happening. Who is he calling to? He called for lights. Well, it's not the prisoners. So there was others around, and that also might explain why he was asleep. Now, if he was a good soldier, a good guard, he wasn't going to sleep on guard. But it might be that he was the commander and there were others who were taking turns for several hours during the night to watch the prisoners. And so he, feeling secure in how these guys are locked up in the middle, they're not going anywhere, the place is secure, all right, you guys got this, I'm going back to my office, I'm going to catch a few Z's here in the middle of the night. 
You know, that, that may have been the way it panned out, but regardless of that, he was waking up, woken up by the sound of the earthquake, by the sound of the bars, you know, the, the doors flying open and realizing that this is the end. And Paul says, no, we're okay. The next thing he says is, is so powerful. He says to Paul, how can I be saved? Now, Paul just saved his life. Paul just said to him, don't kill yourself, we're here. And, and in, in the physical sense, his life was saved because of those words. But this man knew, I need more than that. I need more than, than to keep breathing. I want what you have. I want to know this God that, that, that brought this miracle, not just of the, of the earthquake and the, the jail do doors being opened and the chains coming off. I want to know the God that motivated you to sing joyfully in your pain. I want to know the God that somehow touched the rest of the people in this prison who knew nothing about that God before they came in, came in here, before you came in here tonight, and now they're staying put. I want to know how that works. I want to know who that is. That was all contained in, those, in that question, how can I be saved? And Paul gives him that classic response so that, that that capsulizes the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then he adds something. You and your whole household. Now, this is where I, I, I want to go back to Lydia earlier in the chapter. Okay, Lydia is introduced early in chapter 16 and it says back here in the the 15th verse, when this is Lydia, about Lydia, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Members of her household. Remember, Lydia was a presumably a rich woman because purple cloth was, was very expensive. So if she's a dealer in it, she's making good money. She has a nice house. If you have a nice big house, you have servants. So the household was not just, you know, the, the husband, the wife, and the kids, or may, maybe a, an aunt and uncle, a grandmother, grandfather, whoever else might be in your, your blood family with you. No, it was more than that. It was your servants or slaves who lived there, worked there. So we don't know how many were involved, but there was a household salvation in Lydia's situation, now in the same city, a little time later, we have a household salvation for the jailer and his household, who was probably also making a decent amount of money if he's a commander. Now, why is that important? It's not just that he was able to go home and tell his wife and children about Jesus, and they're going to be saved too, and they're baptized too. And, and, and that in some form that happened. But let's assume for a moment that his household included slaves and servants. All right. Now remember too, this is a man who knew little or nothing of the strange 
Jewish God, this one, these, these people that have one God, they must be really weak and wimpy to only believe in one God. And look how they've been oppressed over the centuries. So they were just sort of brushed aside and laughed at as a people for only having this one weak and wimpy God. And now there's this story about, about his son coming and dying. Gods don't die. That's ridiculous, especially on a cross. How humiliating. That was ridiculous. That was foolish in the mind of the Greek world, which is why Paul uses that word. The gospel is foolish to the world at that time. So here is this Greek man that is coming from a place of many gods, and now he's realizing there's only one. So what are the implications? Now, in the culture at large and in all the various religious expressions known in the ancient world, a system of hierarchy was very common. And there was a socioeconomic hierarchy where you, you know, similar to what we have in, in terms of, you know, higher or low class based on income. But, you know, our lines are kind of blurred with that. We can even make it up as, as the way we want to, to a certain extent, you know. But there it was very well known. And even to the point where the, the God you worship would bless you based upon you, your, your status in society. So if you have slaves, okay, whose God is yours? Now, so the Philippian jailer had to hear from Paul, this message is for you and all the lower class people working in your house. And all the lower class people, you know, everywhere. This message is for you and it's for the rest of these prisoners who didn't take off when the doors busted open. That's the importance of household, of this message being for the household. Not just so he can thank God that his you know, wife, daughter, and son are saved, or whatever number of children he had, but that this message is for everybody. And the Greek world had to learn that and embrace that, just like the Jewish world had difficulty embracing Jesus as Messiah, as the one. The Greek world, for different reasons, had difficulty embracing the message. But when they saw the passion of these people and these guys singing when they were, um, you know, beaten up and bleeding in a dark jail in the middle of the night, jailer's whole household was also blessed. Whoever that included was also set free with this message of salvation. <clears throat> so then my question is to wrap this up today is this questions. What are you a prisoner of? What doors need to be opened in your life? What, what chains need to be loosened? Uh, what do you need to be set free from? Well, the, the answer is also in the text, and it's this. Freedom begins with prayer. At the, the, the beginning of today's reading, at the 16th verse of Acts chapter 16, it says, once they were going to the place of prayer, as they were going to that place of prayer, presumably to pray and to worship, they didn't have in mind that, you know, we're going we're gonna to meet this strange slave girl with a weird power or something that came from, you know, from Satan, obviously, and, and she's going to, you know, bother us, and then there's, we're going to cast it out of her, but there's going to be a riot, and the people are going to blame us and be really angry. 
you know, beat us with an inch of our life, throw us in prison. Yep, that's what I'm looking forward to, God. I'm praying for that, right? No, of course they weren't. They were just praying. But the fact that they were praying set in motion what God was about to do. And then later on, when they're in their darkest moment, where they could easily choose despair, where they could easily cave into deeper and deeper levels of fear and darkness, where, where they could perhaps you know, hope for vengeance. And there's the opportunity when the chains came off and the doors are open. None of that was on the table. None of that was reacted to. Or none, those reactions didn't happen because of prayer, because the attitude that prayer gave to them. So when we're going through a dark time, it's not easy to pray, but it's good. It's helpful. And we may not see it right away. And here's what's really important, especially in those darkest, most difficult moments, is don't come to God with the answer. Come to Him with the need. Okay? You see the difference there? Let go of the outcome that you expect to happen or, or the way it's supposed to happen in your heart and mind. Lord, I'm hurting. Help me. And he may send help in a whole variety of different ways, but if you've got your mindset on help looking like this, this, and this, step A, B, and C, and A, B, C isn't happening, then you're thinking God doesn't hear, God doesn't care, I didn't pray right, I don't have enough faith, wherever else it is. But when you simply come to God and say, Lord, I need help. It kind of reminds me of George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. And if you know that, that classic story, which of course, like all... Christmas movies is on a lot this time of year. The, the, the lowest moment for him in that story was when he's sitting at the bar and, and, and there's been a, a, a financial crisis that happened, not of his doing, but he's taking responsibility for knowing that he's going to land in jail and he can't stop it and he doesn't know what to do. And he's already had a drink and he's and the bartender's concerned about him, and he's sort of holding that drink, whispers to God in a prayer, Lord, I'm not a praying man, but I really need your help. And God sends an answer. It wasn't with an envelope from the sky with all the money he needed to get everything right. Because George needed more than that. He needed to see how valuable his life was. So the first thing that happens after he prays, which is kind of funny in the movie, he gets punched in the face, <laughs> knocked down, he's bleeding. And then as the story transpires, he meets the angel. And the angel shows him what, is, what this town would have been like without his life and how wonderful his life was. And, and, and that's, I see that with, with Paul and Silas here. I see them going to a place of prayer first thing in the morning, simply, God, this is a great town. I see a lot of potential here. Your church, these people are good. Lydia is so kind to us and gracious, and they're probably praising God and asking him what's next. And what's next is this big series of events where they get beaten up, thrown in jail, but they keep praying. 
and lives are touched and lives are changed and people are set free. Paul says elsewhere to pray, as it says, I believe in the King James, pray without ceasing. In other words, it doesn't mean we're always doing this, but it does mean that we're always aware that he is there and he is with us. God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to have an awareness of your presence in us and forgive us for not turning to you first. Forgive us for going about it our own way first and then coming to you when it's not working out. Help us from as best we can, as often as we can, to come to you and ask for help and to trust you to answer when and how you will answer, not just for our own needs, but also that many others through your presence in us can be blessed, can be helped, can be set free. In Jesus' name, amen.